Good morning, and uh, welcome to our Monday morning talk for this week. Uh, we're in a series this year called Core 52, and yesterday Mark preached on King Saul. So, uh, yep. if you were going to summarize yesterday or last week uh, in, in one statement, maybe, you know, or like what was the point or the purpose of King Saul? The purpose with Core 52. What was the purpose of, of what we were what we were looking at. I, I think it was the memory verse. Yeah, yeah, that was that was key to it all. You know, God looks at things differently than we do. Yeah. Uh, looks at people differently. And, of course, it's just interesting getting to God choosing. What, what's he base that on? I'm not sure he can – there's no way we can nail down God on anything, you know, but uh, you know, there's sometimes he just chooses the most unobvious people and uh, – but with uh, David, it kind of made sense when he chose him. Saul, uh, you know, it's may, maybe it's a little harder. You know, the people had a choice, more of a choice in Saul. And that might, that's kind of interesting to just think about it. I don't think the cho- people had a choice in choosing David. No. God chose him and said, you're going to be the king. Yeah. Uh, with Saul, we have God choosing. And he chose him long before he was going to be king. Yes, yeah. Um so, because uh, Saul continued to be king for several years after that choosing. Anyway, choosing was the uh, kind of the <clears throat> direction I went with it, and uh, the two main issues he chooses people who have a heart after God, and then people who are humble. And David was both, uh, especially his beginnings. He was son number eight, and he was a shepherd, a lowly shepherd. Was Saul either one? I don't know. Uh, Did Saul have a heart after God? Or, didn't, say, didn't say that. Or was he humble? He was tall. <laughs> tall Saul. And he was good looking. And uh, that comes out a couple times in Scripture. And other than that, I don't know what his qualifications were. Except that God chose him. And the people chose him. And that gets into the interplay between God and people, and that kind of gets us into this, uh, the big word yesterday was God regretting that he chose Saul, and uh, how that all interacts, and you are going to give us the solution to that. <laughs> yeah, you kind of you kind of set me up there, Yeah, for sure. I did do some reading about it and stuff, and you know, like, so so specifically in, in 1 Samuel chapter 15 mm-hmm. is where, where we were, where this is all happening. And in verse 28, 28, 29, it says, Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret for he is not a man that he should have regret. And then it's just a few verses later in verse 35 where you read from, And it says, and Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. And actually in 1 Samuel 15, it's twice says God regretted. Back in verse 11, it also says that. So that word is the same word used. Yeah. Yeah. Nahim in the Hebrew. And so the question is, is does God regret and... Or, or is there a contradiction in Scripture? Well, because it says he doesn't, 
God will not regret. And then it says God regrets. Yeah, exactly. He <laughs> nahim, then he doesn't nahim. Yep, yeah. Yep. And uh, let me chase a rabbit a little bit on that. Then you mm-hmm. can address this particular one. Mm-hmm. When people say there's no contradiction in Scripture, I get what they're saying. But that's technically wrong. There are contradictions in Scripture, intentional contradictions. And the clearest example I can think of is in the book of Proverbs. There's two verses back to back that contradict each other. One says, do answer a fool according to his folly. The very next verse says, do not answer a fool according to his folly. That's as clear a contradiction as you can have. But it makes sense. Sometimes it's wise to answer a fool. Sometimes it's better just keep quiet. Yeah. It just depends on the situation. That's, and that's why it's in the book of wisdom. Life has contradictory time. I mean, life is a contradiction. So, so it makes sense that the Bible, and especially the book of wisdom, would have that. My, my encouragement, because we've dealt with that specifically as a leadership conversation around contradictions in scripture and uh-huh. the inerrancy of scripture right. and all of those, that whole conversation. And, and while I would just always tell people when it comes to that kind of thing, a contradiction in scripture, it, it's as important how you approach the contradiction as it is that the contradiction exists. Sure. Exactly. Like when you approach a, a contradiction, when you approach those two verses with the mindset, well, see, we can't trust scripture. Right. <laughs> Well, right. That's yeah. the wrong way. Yeah. What you're saying and what I like is to look at it and go, "Oh, well, this should get my attention because there's something to learn and it contradicts itself for a purpose." Right. Because there's something it's trying to teach us. It's... Not, "Oh, this is a mistake." Exactly. You know, and I think that, that's what I think there are people who go to it looking for those things so that they can find a mistake. Yeah. To disprove, I right. guess, the... Their presupposition. Yeah. I would still say the Bible is the Word of God. It is an inspired Word of God. Yep. It is true, you yep. know. And uh, anyway, yeah, good point. So back to the text. Yeah. God regrets. God does not regret. Uh, and I thought your take, we're talking about this, was pretty good on that. That's technically not a contradiction. Yeah. I don't feel like this is as much of a contradiction. Yeah. Um. And, and it's mostly, I did some reading, some studying. I said, I said, like, I'm, I'm going to quote a Calvinist this morning. Um, I read a quote that John Piper gave about this, um, exact instance in scripture. But my, my question would be, you know, when you were talking about God's choice and you mm-hmm. said God regretted the choice, mm-hmm. I don't know if he did. But it says that would that. be yeah I know it does it, say that. <laughs> my question would be: Did God regret his choice, or did he regret Saul's sin? Right. And 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 what I was getting at there, you know, this is the quote that I read. Piper says God is quite capable of lamenting a state of affairs that he himself foreknew and brought about. Just because yeah. he knew it was going to happen doesn't mean that it doesn't grieve him. And that he doesn't lament over it happening. Um, Because I think what I'm getting at and what I think Piper is getting at there, God's regret, it's not comparable to ours. That's true. Like we are not, what's the word analogous with God? Like, you know, we're not, 
we're not on the same level. Our feelings and God's feeling, you know, like it's not, it's not at all the same thing at all. And so, you know, God can look back at Saul and and he can say, uh, I'm grieved that he sinned. It's time to find another King and still uh, maintain that he never changed his mind. You know, like See, we, when- we can't forget this foundation that we've laid for the last several weeks about covenant. Right. And trying to get at the fact that like the thing that is so special about our God is that our God is a covenant keeping. He's a living, active God. He's not removed from us. He's involved in our lives and he wants a personal relationship. And so because of that, like he is going to be personal. He is going to respond and react and grieve. And it doesn't make, we, yeah. And it doesn't make him yeah. less sovereign when he does. Like yeah. in his covenant keeping nature, though, and that's the way I interpret the verse 29 then. But God, when it comes to who he is, he does not regret or lie or repent like a man. Right. The word. <clears throat> For regret that Nahim actually does carry the idea of emotion of grieving. I, th- I think grieving might be the best translation. I, I don't know. I'm not a scholar on that. And even there, like I wonder then why why Nahim instead of I got, I'd have to look. But in ver- in verse 35, and Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul. So uh, there's the word grieved there. Yeah. And the, but then right after it says, and the Lord regretted. And why didn't it say in the Lord grieved? You know, like, so there is something going on there with this. Yeah. But it also said Samuel was mad, angry in verse 11. Mm-hmm. When God regretted Samuel, uh, Samuel was angry. So there's a lot of emotion involved in here. Uh, the example I heard, and I think it may have been Piper that used this too. And it helped me understand it somewhat. <clears throat> if I discipline my son for blatant disobedience and he runs away, I regret that that happened. But if, would I discipline him if I were to do it all over again? Yeah, I would still discipline. It was the right thing to do. And so God regrets what happened with Saul, but he doesn't regret choosing Saul. He would do it again. Mm-hmm. Now, the difference between me and God, of course, God has foreknowledge. He knew Saul would fail and all that, but he would not change his mind as far, like it says in the text, he would not change his mind about choosing Saul, even though he regrets it later on. And we're getting into territory we can't fully understand. No, God, I mean, of course, it's know. just, and there are scenarios we can play out, you know, where it's just like, man, if I created, you know, and I created a being that I wanted to have a relationship <clears throat> with. But to have that relation, I mean, it's just, it's getting back into that greater free will conversation. You have to give that creation free will then to choose the relationship. Yeah. Because you gave them the free will, even if you know they're not going to choose it, does it still hurt when they don't choose it? Yeah. Like that still hurts. You know, you still don't. You know, and so I think it's just, I think what I like about this is um, what's what's going on here is we're getting a really good picture of how on a personal level, God grieves 
over lost relationship with us. Yeah. He grieves over our sin and the consequences of it. And even though he knew it was going to happen, he like, it still grieves him to watch us hurt and be in pain over the consequences of sin. And that's part of what makes him a good God. Yeah. Worthy of worship. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I'm glad you solved all that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> obviously we'll never totally, you know, we, we may have brought up more questions than solutions. That's usually what happens. <clears throat> so the two main points of the sermon was again, in God chooses those with a heart after him. I talked about, uh, metamorphosis, the change that has to happen from within. And I was hoping to connect a little bit with parents and because we, we all have angst about our kids you know, how are they going to turn out and everything? And there's just so much that's beyond our control. Uh, and that's why we pray desperately for them. Uh, that's why we teach and just do the best we can, but they still have to make choices. And some yeah. kids choose the right way and some don't. Uh, so anyway, um, I remember going through those parenting years and just, just being worried and, you know what? Most of these kids turn out pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so don't worry. Don't have as much angst as you're having parents because I've been there and I know what that's like. And now I worry about the grandkids too. But uh, uh, prayer is so powerful. And that's another thing. I talked about desperation. <laughs> and I thought when you're a parent, you tend to be more desperate. And I think your prayer life is better. Uh, you're in those years right now because you just want the best for these kids. Well, and, and sometimes there's just situations where it's like, man, all I, I feel like all I can do is pray. Yeah. Like I don't have any, I don't have really any answers. I don't really have any, yeah. um, yeah, I need it to be in God's hands. Yeah. And if there's one word I want people to go away with from yesterday is desperation. Mm. We're all desperate. We don't feel like it at times, especially here in America, you know. But every day, if we would get up in the morning and think, this day depends on God. Yeah. You know, I think our prayer lives would be a whole lot better than they tend to be. And I'm talking to myself, too. And, and that's the, I mean, that's your two points, really, summarized. And yeah. Our, it's, they're summarized in that word, like, God, I'm desperate for more of you and less of me. That's, that's a heart after God. Heart, yeah. And it's hum it's humility because, you know, we were talking about that this morning. Like I was, I was, I liked your, you gave a list toward the end yeah. symptoms of pride. Yeah. And I start. I, I mean, I was just internalizing that list as you went down it and going, man, when do I show those symptoms? Mm -hmm. um, and how do those symptoms show themselves? And like, what's my pride over? And your list was a lack of gratitude. Bitterness, envy, impatience, irritability, covetousness, indulgence, and lack of prayer. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so there's kind of a, you know, if you wanted it to be like a warning light in the vehicle or something, like there's the warning lights to look yeah. for. Man, if I'm depending a little bit more on me than I am on God, yeah. these things might be rearing their head in yeah. my life right now. Um I had one guy come up to me afterwards and say, I was doing pretty good the first three, I think. But then the last five, I didn't do so good. And I said, 
I'm all eight. <laughs> yeah. I struggled all eight of those. So. Yeah. Uh, but, I, but I do, like, when you and I were talking this morning, I do struggle, like, I, and I've talked about openly, even in sermons and stuff, about my own struggle with self-esteem and, like, self-image, uh, self-confidence at times, and... And with that, like I, I was sharing with you this morning, like some of the advice I've gotten from other mentors and preachers in my life has been don't don't actually lose some of your sense of low self-esteem. You know, like yeah. I think, you know, in some in Which some ways heresy I've heard <laughs> I've heard other people say before, like to be a good preacher, to be a good lead minister you almost have to have some sense of narcissism. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. I've heard that statement before. Like wow. you have to be a little bit narcissistic to get up in front of people and do that on a weekly basis. And the reason I struggle with that is because on the flip side, like there's a reason I get up at 3 a.m. every Sunday morning and it's because like I'm terrified. Yeah. I'm terrified about what I'm going to be doing that morning. I'm not so much as terrified about the public speaking aspect of it that has gotten better, but I'm terrified about the, I'm communicating God's word. And there's a huge responsibility that comes with that. I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to say something that, that takes away from that. And, and so with that, that's the part that I think Lloyd told me one time, he was like, Oh, you want to keep a healthy sense of that. Yeah. You don't want to lose that humility because his, I think his quote was, you don't want to get too big for your bridges. Like you don't want to, you don't want to get this overconfident sense of yourself because at that point, like what you're doing, God, God, God's not in it anymore. (laughs) Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. I mean, I totally agree with that. Here's the thing on the self-esteem, and I really, I was a little concerned that I'd come across anti-self-esteem, and so I wanted to say, you know, you know, we want self-esteem for our kids and grandkids and all that, but I remember when self-esteem became really a hot item and when it first rose and everything, and preachers would use the scripture, love your neighbor as you love, as you love yourself. You know, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, and Preachers are preaching that almost, that's a command to love yourself. No, it isn't. It's an assumption that you love yourself. Love your neighbor is the command as you love yourself. It just assumes we have self-love. Now, some of our self-love is not healthy and perverted. Mm -hmm. But when the self-esteem movement got rolling, it almost came across as this is going to solve all our problems. I mean, this is the... This is the problem with our young people. This is the problem with, you know, dysfunction and all that. Self-esteem. No. And and self-esteem, I think, in many ways has risen with young people. I'm not sure it solved all the problems it promised. It it created a lot of different ones. It's created some (laughs) other problems. And it's like anything. Satan takes good stuff and twists it to his his things. That's the point I was trying to make on that. So... uh, um, I deal with self-esteem issues. You know, you do. I think most people do to a certain extent. And so you see the value of it. But you also can see it's not going to solve every, you know, uh, a kid who's out in a gang 
killing people. I'm not sure self-esteem is going to solve the problem there. There's something deeper going on. Mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, with that said, I talk about the good old days <laughs> in this uh, book by Brooks, and uh, he's really a good writer. That book was re actually recommended to me by someone in the church, and uh, talks about our culture has changed. <clears throat> and again, being older, I, I'm always a wary of being accused of nostalgiaism and going back to the good old days and all that. And uh, that's not the point at all, because there were some things in the good old days that were not so good. Mm -hmm. But there was, there has been a shift, and I think people who are my age and older have seen the shift yeah. from a culture of self-effacement to a culture of self-promotion. Uh, you see it on the football field, you know that kind of stuff. I mean, it's all glory to me. Mm -hmm. so, anyway. Well, and I think it's less, uh, you know, if you're if you're going to look at one of the things that has probably fueled that more than anything else, it's probably social media. You know, the fact that you can yes. go on, you know, that there's a network, that there's a platform for you to create a page that's all about you. Yeah. And that other people are going to come yeah. and read all about you and see all about you. And, you know, that <clears throat> even with that, I try to keep a healthy distance from it. Yeah. You know, like. I don't want to get too caught up in this idea that other people might be worshiping my life or, or envying yeah. my life. Or, yeah. And I love Facebook. Keeps right. you in touch with people and all that. I got all kinds of happy birthdays on Saturday and everything. And that's kind of nice to just go through and see people. Oh, yeah. I hadn't talked to them for a long time. So there's wonderful things about it. But mm -hmm. like, again, Satan takes good stuff and. Yep. Can uh, promote the self selfism. So, anyway, I'm glad I only preach once a month. <laughs> well, next week we're we're kind of closing out this section of Core Fifty Two. Um, the way the series was laid out, this set apart, kind of focusing all on holiness and God's glory and calling, like yeah. you talked about yesterday. Then we're gonna. Yeah. Talk some about David next week and wrap up set apart. Uh, and then we're going to be moving into a series that focuses a little more on the Psalms. And so, yeah, I, I hope if, if you are on this journey with us, we were just talking about this before we started. Like, I hope you're still plugging away. Um, you know, I think there's so much great value in people being in God's word every day and the way that <clears throat> core 52 structures that for us, it gives us a, it gives us a tool to help us do that. So, you know, I hope, I hope you're plugging away with that. If you're with a small group, likely you are. Um, if you're kind of doing this, uh, a lone ranger, it's probably a little bit harder, but hopefully these conversations our sermons, other things will help with that too. But, um, yeah. Or form your own small group. Get yeah. together a friend, a couple of friends and do it together and meet once a week. Yeah. So. Yep. But I am enjoying it and I'm looking forward to next week. Um, and we hope that you all have a, a great week.